Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri, the Canberra region, for Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Today on Earth Matters, we welcome a new book, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization by Rod Taylor and Mark Diesendorf. Mark Diesendorf might now be called a grandfather of human ecology with a lifetime contribution to creating the science and understanding we need to live sustainably with our planet home, educating thousands of people, writing books and newspaper articles. He said he would never write another book, but here it is. The Path to a Sustainable Civilization: Technological, Socio-Economic and Political Change. It shows how we can transition to a new civilization that is sustainable, socially just, healthy and less militarized, and offers strategies and policies for avoiding the business-as-usual path to disaster, communicating the recent science in a clear and accessible way. And this is what the publisher has to say about the path to a sustainable civilization. It shows that we have unwittingly fallen into an existential crisis of our own making. We have allowed large corporations, the military and other vested interests to capture governments and influence public opinion excessively. We have created a god called the market and allowed our most important decisions to be made by this imaginary entity, which is, in fact, a human system controlled by vested interests, and the result has been the exploitation of our life support systems, our planet, and most of its inhabitants, to the point of collapse. This book argues that the way out of our black hole is to build social movements to apply overwhelming pressure on government and big business, weaken the power of vested interests, and strengthen democratic decision-making. This must be done simultaneously with action on the specific issues of climate, energy, natural resources and social justice in order to transition to a truly sustainable civilization. Let's start with a key concept from Mark Diesendorf. In my picture of sustainability, we first have to get the environment that supports us that is our life support system, that has to be made. Within that system, we design, we modify our society to be consistent with environmental sustainability. And then the economic system, another human creation, is part of our society. And yet the existing system is, is completely in reverse. The existing system places economics first, then society, and then the environment. And that is a recipe for collapse. A stern warning from Professor Mark Diesendorf, co-author of the new book, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization. The book is recently published by Palgrave Macmillan and can be ordered online at link.springer.com. The co-author, Rod Taylor, is here with us to tell me about it. And I'm all ears because, as we know, the current civilization isn't going in the right direction. Rod Taylor is a freelance science and technology writer, journalist and broadcaster. 
Rod, this book, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization, is great because it succinctly pulls the forces creating our current existential crisis together. Why did you and Mark write this book? G'day, Beg. And as you said, Mark didn't want to write another book, but uh, we thought this project is so important. And as you said, civilization is going in the wrong direction. We are perilously close to collapse. And we've been aware of this problem. You know, we've had the books like Silent Spring. And so for the last 50, 70, 80 years, we have known that what we're doing is not sustainable. And yet here we are, we're doing it still. And I've got an article from the paper here from a couple of days ago, and this kind of really exemplifies the sorts of issues that we are facing now. Our listener will know about climate change and so on and so on. But here's one. uh, Lakes around the world shrinking by trillions of gallons each year. And it goes on to describe how freshwater reservoirs around the world are, are, are being diminished. And it's a combination of climate change and we're extracting ever more water from the environment. And this just cannot go on. You look at the planetary boundaries, so-called, which is a really important piece of work by uh, the late Will Steffen, among others. And they analysed the safe operating boundaries for the planet. Now, so if you had your car and the oil pressure was going off the top of the dial, if the temperature gauge was going in the wrong direction, you'd stop. Or, or if you had your high blood pressure and cholesterol levels and so on, you'd be going to the doctor. Well, what are we doing now? Well, we're pursuing this agenda of growth that we want to extract ever more from a finite planet, and it's not going to end well. And it's an urgent, urgent problem. And one of the things we'll talk about a bit more about is what are we going to do about it? how are we going to tackle this problem? I'm glad we're going to talk about how we're going to tackle it because I do think about that. It, it's actually keeping me awake at night now, such a concern. It's only a little book. It wouldn't take long to read. It's great because it's got these good examples like cars breaking down and people getting sick. What would you do? You go to the doctor. When the planet's getting sick, what do we do? The same old, same old, mostly. I mean, I I heard via Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute that, you know, Albany's government is really still on the fossil fuel track with coal and gas exports. So it's going on right before our very eyes. Let's just look at a little bit of this book. Chapter four, Busting Myths About Sustainability. There's the baseload myth, the fossil fuel backup myth, and the renewable energy deniers. Rod Taylor, what are the myths about sustainability? Yes, there's a whole bunch of them. And uh, if we would go back to the health analogy, you might say, well, I'm going to drink uh, distilled water or I just need a few more vitamins and, and that's all I need to do without thinking about the fundamentals. And the thing about the most conversations we hear about sustainability is they attack the, the surface problems. So greenhouse gases, okay, so a driver of global warming. That's absolutely definitely happening. And it's happening in a very rapid way, much worse than uh, was predicted by the scientists. So the solutions that are typically talked about are like, oh, we just need a few wind farms and solar panels and so on. And yes, we do need those things, but they don't attack the fundamentals of the problem. 
So a solar panel, right, it doesn't generate any emissions while it's, it's operating, and that's a great thing. We need to do it. But it uses materials that come out of the ground, and those materials are mined, and they are limited resources. And so there's real questions about whether we can continue to grow renewable energy to keep up with the demand in consumption. So here's a little fact for us. Uh, in the year 2000, 80% of, of energy production was through fossil fuel sources, right? And in 2019, okay, so that's only 19 years later, what's the overall energy source? 80%. 80%. So that number has not changed in nearly 20 years. And the reason is that we keep consuming more. And so that just cannot continue. And uh, there's a whole bunch of myths that uh, we, we can talk about. Energy is one, baseload and some other things that uh, we have in the book. But there's also myths about uh, a GDP and so on. Well, what's the baseload one in a nutshell? Okay, so we're still stuck in the old way of thinking that you need these big-ass generators that you're going to pump out electricity continuously from like a coal-fired power station, gas, or maybe nuclear, right? But the world has changed, and now instead of some really big generators, we have lots of small generators, and they're distributed across the country. So we have lots of solar panels. We don't have a single point of failure. And so there are technical aspects to this so-called baseload thing, but with the smart use of this distributed uh, renewable technology, the idea is redundant. You don't need it, and it's cheaper and cleaner and so on. So that's, that's definitely a myth. Well, let's talk about economics. We're in this economic system. It's industrial capitalism, neoliberalism. Let's talk about GDP. If you're wondering, gross domestic product is the market value of goods and services produced within a country, all added up. Yes, GDP has become this holy shrine that we bend our knees, we rub the material off the front of our trousers, we bow before this notion of GDP. It has godlike status. And if you go to almost any government around the planet, their primary goal, with few exceptions, increase GDP. And GDP represents the consumption or the, the productivity of the economy, right? And it's an extremely poor measure of, of well-being. It excludes so many things. Like there's a guy downstairs in the building we are. I passed him yesterday sleeping under a blanket. You know, so he's a homeless person. He doesn't register in GDP. So it, it's a crock. It's a, it's a complete crock. I mean, it's good as a measure of the economy, but that's a technical measure. And so... It doesn't take social justice issues into account. It doesn't take social justice. It doesn't take into account the depletion of natural resources. So I've already mentioned that renewables need resources to, to be constructed and so on. And it doesn't have a happiness factor. It doesn't have a happiness factor. Now, there are better measures such as the gross progress indicator. There's a whole bunch of these things that do try to factor in those things. But neoliberalism and neoclassical economics, they're, they're wedded to this notion and we, we have to drop it. And this is absolutely fundamental because this kind of thinking drives the way we manage our countries. And 
it's only going one direction. You mentioned at the start, uh, Beck, that this is not sustainable. Well, this slavish devotion to GDP has got to stop. And, and in fact, Beck, if we're talking about growth, there are limits to growth. And there is the famous book, The Limits to Growth and the Club of Rome. They modelled what would happen if we continued on our current trajectory. And let's be clear about this. We're talking about collapse. Collapse. That, that is how serious the, this, our current Co- Collapse path is. of what, exactly? Collapse of civilization. And civilization, I'm talking about in the global sense, that all the machinery that keeps us going, the thing that provides us food, transport, heat, energy, light, housing, you name it, that's what civilization does for us. And we are pulling the bolts out. We are undermining the foundations of that. And it can only take stresses up to a certain point. And when it goes, that's a tipping point and we lose control. And if we don't limit ourselves, uh, nature will do it for us and it won't be pretty. Reduced to silence, Rod, I am. I just, yes, you're right, I feel. I'm tempted to ask you when will this happen, but I know none of us are Nostradamus and we're all hoping that it'll happen never or a very long time away. Well, it, it does keep me awake. And uh, the Club of Rome predicted uh, mid this century, which is only not that far away. Okay, well, rather than just sitting here in stunned silence, I'll ask you one more question. I know that the suggestions in this book, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization, Mark Diesendorf and Rod Taylor are not suggesting that we return to a pre-industrial society, but use the base of where we're at now. What's this book telling us all to do? That's a really important question, uh, Beck, because we cannot just fall into stunned silence and despair because one way will probably fail, the other way will definitely fail. And key to our path to sustainability is to unwind state capture. It's to unwind neoclassical economics because this has captured not just the mechanism of our civilization, the corporations and the governments have been captured by this thinking. It's a way of thinking that we need to change. And we need to do that by exposing state capture. And community groups, like here we are at 2XX recording this, 2XX does fantastic things. And there are so many community groups around the country. There's the Australian Democracy Network and so on who are exposing how the state is captured by vested interests who want to keep going on the, on the unsustainable path. And uh, for our listener, we might think, oh, well, you know, Rod's written a book or Beck, you're doing uh, interviews and so on. What, what can I do? Just a little person. Well, I think everybody has to adjust what they do to their own character, the way you talk to your friends or just your own lifestyle, if that's what you can do, then do it, or or the way you vote. You're with Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network across these First Nations lands that were never ceded. I'm Beck Horridge. Let's pretend it isn't happening. Let's pretend it isn't true. Let's pretend that we can go on just the way we used to do. Let's pretend that cutting carbon 10% or 85 
will be enough to shape a climate that our children can survive. Let's pretend that giving handouts to those polluters who are worse will in some strange way save our future from forever being cursed. Let's pretend it isn't happening. Let's pretend it isn't true. Let's pretend that we can go on just the way we used to do. Let's pretend there's a method of burning coal that's clear and clean. Let's pretend that nuclear power is safer than it's ever been. Let's pretend that turning lights down Pretend with E Capella. Words by Jeff Francis, the melody by Peter Hicks, arranged by Miguel Heatwall. We're going to be hearing a few pearls of wisdom from Mark Diesendorf now, who's so able to draw all the threads of this crisis together. Neoclassical economics treats the environment as an infinite resource and an infinite waste dump. And again, We see now from the fact that we're exceeding planetary boundaries that that conception is wrong and destructive. The alternative broad conception is known as ecological economics, and that is not a branch 
of neoclassical economics. It's an interdisciplinary field that puts the environment and social justice first, well ahead of economic efficiency. One of the main thrusts of ecological economics is that we have to transition to what's called a steady-state economy. And that is an economy that does not increase the use of energy, of materials or land, and does not increase the human population. It's sustainable in biophysical terms, uh, no growth in physical terms. And if this means that there should be no future growth in economic terms, then so be it, because GDP is really a very poor indicator. It is not an indicator of human well-being. So we must ensure that, physically speaking, we remain within the Earth's planetary boundaries. We've been pushed in the wrong direction by vested interests who want continued growth in consumption and they want continued growth in their own industries, fossil fuels or weapons industries or gambling or pharmaceuticals and other chemicals, you name it. And these industries have captured the nation states in most countries of the world. The capture has been done by political donations. There's a very intimate relationship between people in the captains of industry and in government. Ministers will retire into a highly paid job in the industry that they were supposed to be regulating when they were ministers. Political advisors to ministers come from vested interests, like the Minerals Council of Australia. We also see the media being largely taken over, especially the commercial media, media being taken over by these vested interests, who are also very big advertisers. We see vested interests creating so-called think tanks and we struggle to create alternative think tanks that work in the public interest instead of the interests of those industries. So in th once we recognise what these vested interests are doing, we can tackle them. We can struggle for better democracy. Individuals can have a lot of influence if they join groups because it's the groups that have the influence. And groups can cooperate. Groups in energy, climate, transport, social justice, poverty, you name it. And we're starting to see a movement being created. Now, for example, in Australia, the Australian Democracy Network. And it brings together interests from the environment, from social justice, from peace, and other areas so that it can campaign on an overarching way to restore greater democracy in government decision-making. And here's what some others have said about this book, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization. The book documents the hopeful way forward and shows what you can do now to improve our chances. It may be the most important book you've ever read. That's Ian Lowe, the Emeritus Professor of Science of Technology and Society at Griffith University. Here's what Bill McKibben has said. 
Its conclusions about the need for social movements to fight the corporate capture of politics seem particularly relevant. Here's something that sums up the book nicely, written by Steve Keane, Honorary Professor and Distinguished Research Fellow at the Institute for Strategy, Resilience and Security, University College London. The path to a sustainable civilization correctly defines the dominant economic system as one of the fundamental drivers of the exploitation of our planet's environment and the vast majority of its people. The book recommends ending economic growth by the rich countries and transitioning to a steady state economy with sustainable prosperity for all, guided by the transdisciplinary framework of ecological economics and modern monetary theory. In presenting its case, the book is readable, well-documented and convincing. So better get a look at it, and the links where you can find it are on the show homepage. Thank you, Rod Taylor, and thank you, Mark Diesentorf, for talking to Earth Matters. You've been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Melbourne, on Wiradjuri country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at EarthMRadio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories from all over this beautiful blue planet. I'm Beck Horridge. My Kyoto, words and music by Miguel Heathwell, sung by Ecopala. When I leave the room, I switch off the light and I print on both sides of the page. When I leave the room, I switch off the light and I print on both sides of the page. I ride the tram, I'm glad I can. My coffee I buy from fair trade. Cause I think I ought to, I reuse grey water. I don't eat things that come from a cage. In the winter, I wear warm clothes inside. And I don't turn the heating up high. In the winter, I wear warm clothes inside. And I don't turn the heating up high. When I boil the jug to fill my mug. There's no leftover water inside. All the energy that is charged to me, renewable sources supply. When I brush my teeth, I only use a cup, and I don't let the tap water run. When I brush my teeth, I only use a cup, and I don't let the tap water run. My clothes get clean in one machine and pegging them out isn't fun. 
I should let my clothes dry in the sun.